This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Bears Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Miner, alongside Pranay Malampati to discuss all that is to discuss Baylor sports. And before we get to Baylor basketball, which both the men and women had games last night, we wanted to tie a bow on the college football season where Georgia became the first ever team to repeat as college football champions uh, in the college football playoff era. Uh, they destroyed, dismantled TCU 65-7 in the biggest, most lopsided a national championship game ever. Um, it's got to got to have a lot of Baylor fans feeling feeling pretty smug about themselves uh, on Tuesday morning when they woke up after watching that game, sixty five to seven. Not a good showing for Max Duggan and the Frogs. Great storybook season. Uh, Pranay, what were your thoughts, takeaways on that national championship game massacre? I gotta say, I was pulling for TCU going into the game. Just one hundred percent. Just so that the Big 12 would be able to say that we are just as good as as most of these other conferences. And still, I think that TCU beating Michigan shows that the top of the Big 12 is still up there and and the conference is also deep. But the matchup between TCU and Georgia was just one where the talent gap was so wide that there was nothing TCU could have done to win that game. Now, the talent gap between TCU and Michigan was fairly large. Michigan is obviously more talented, but the gap was not wide enough that if TCU played their best game and Michigan didn't play as well as they could, TCU still had a good chance of winning, and, and we saw them obviously beat Michigan. But when you step it up to someone like Georgia, who's arguably – the most talented team in the country, top three for sure. And they're disciplined. Um, but honestly, take away like the coaching and everything. It's just a matter of they're bigger, stronger, and faster. So like what could TCU have done? The Horn Frogs were misaligned at times. They they didn't play their best game, but I I I don't think there would have been a day that TCU could have beaten Georgia. Yeah, you you touched on an interesting point there. First of all, TCU just not shoot themselves in the foot, you know, fumble on the second drive of the game, even holding Georgia to a field goal was pretty risky there. And then they scored a touchdown, but just too many self-inflicted wounds. Uh, and Georgia just had that perfect game where they capitalized on it. So a little bit of perfect storm where Georgia plays their best TCU plays their worst and everything that, could go wrong, goes wrong. And for TCU, everything that could go right, goes right. Um, you made a good point about the talent gap still maybe being there, um, but it was not as large of a canyon, right? And Shahan, our, our uh, guest on a previous show, 
leading into the championship game mentioned that as as why he thought that TCU could pull off the upset against against Michigan. So I think it's a very good point there. Um, but man, that was a that was a tough looking. Yeah, a lot of Baylor fans feeling smug uh, with you know being able to say no Heisman, no Big Twelve championship, no national championship. Um, you know, and not only no national championship blowout. So that was definitely you know just unfortunate um, for TCU. Obviously, uh, great for Georgia. Pernay, um, what do you think that game had uh, on the college football? sport just the sport of college football what impact moving forward do you think this game will have again 65 to 7 georgia over tcu back-to-back titles for stenson bennett and the bulldogs uh kirby smart rolling david pollock is saying georgia has taken over college football right saban's face forward what effect is on the sport yeah so i guess first i want to say i I saw a lot of twitter comparisons comparing this georgia tcu game to the Baylor Gonzaga national championship game, um, the basketball championship game from a couple of years ago. And while I think it's a little different because Gonzaga was actually the powerhouse team that everyone thought was going to win that game and run the table for right. a perfect season that year. Um, it, I see the comparison just because you have, you have Baylor who is a strong team, just absolutely dominating a Gonzaga team who, is while they've been on the national stage for years, they're not from a power conference. They're they're from a mid-major conference, and Baylor dominated them. And then here you have Georgia dominating TCU. While obviously TCU is from a power conference, they're not considered one of the premier football conferences anymore. Um, <clears throat> but obviously I think that Georgia is a, a perennial national contender now. Um, like you said, David Pollock was saying that they've taken over college football right in front of Nick Saban's face. You see, <laughs> I don't know if you saw Nick Saban look down right after Pollock said that. Um, but yeah, I think Georgia's going to be one of the premier teams in college football moving forward. Um, but then on the other side, I don't think this says that much. I don't think this is that negative of a look for TCU or for the Big 12 because while yes, TCU got dominated thoroughly on the national stage, the fact that they were even on the national stage says a lot more than any outcome that could have occurred. And especially with the 12 team playoff coming up in a couple of years, the big 12 is going to continue to get at least one team in every year. Um, and over the last two seasons outside of the big 12, I mean, outside of the SEC and the Big Ten, only TCU and Cincinnati have made the college football playoff. And we know Cincinnati is coming to the Big 12, so both those teams will be in the Big 12 moving forward. Yeah, I think, you know, the reason I asked that, just about the overall health sport, because it was a complete 180 reversal from uh, New Year's Eve, where we had quite literally finals back-to-back ever. Uh, it looked really, really good. Uh Tulane a, a, a days later beat USC in the Cotton Bowl. Um, so looking really good for parity and the sport of college football. TCU upends Michigan. Tulane, of course, won. They would have been in the 12-team playoff in the new format. Um, and and then championship night comes around. It's a blowout and the worst blowout we've ever seen. 
I think it was a little bit of a perfect storm to get to a 58 point margin of, of victory. Um, and he just, they, they rolled over. Um, basically, they, you know, there were no new lives left on the frog machine for now for TCU. They just, they just got hit by the truck and lay there and, and it, um, but a lot of the conversation, I think, turned from TCU great story to Alabama should have gotten in to the Ford off, and that moving forward as as it expands to twelve. To all of your excellent, you're going to have less of an opportunity for Cinderellas like a TCU or Cincinnati to make it all the way to the championship game, let alone win the championship game. But I think it will be a lot more fun and a lot more exciting for more teams, more conferences as the games move to camp- college campuses. Um, but as we've seen, I think the only thing that this year proves that you really have one shot to beat the best team in the nation, right? Because you have them on their off night. You have to have a perfect game plan, play turnover, mistake-free football, and have every not maybe not everything go right if you're the talent cap is not large, right? If the talent cap is large, then you need like everything. Um, but you need a majority of things to go right for you to pull off the victory. And that's kind of what we saw in the Peach Bowl with with Ohio State almost taking down Georgia there. They probably, that was a terrible, terrible kick at the end, right when the ball drops. And uh, they they suffered a huge blow losing, losing Marvin Harrison Jr. But I think all this proved was that if you poke the bear, they're going to, you know, best team in college football. They woke up and they're like, hey, this, this is no nonsense. we got to go and not mess around with T's and roll them. So that was to was for Ohio State to beat them, in my opinion. And then maybe Ohio State still is TCU. Maybe it's a little bit closer. I don't think I don't think for Ohio State is TCU. It's, it's quite a 58-point margin. But, you know, that's just, that's just speculation. Um, the other thing I want to ask you, Pernay, because a lot of people were focusing on the 65 to seven and that was a blowout and it wasn't fair to the sport and the college football playoff committee did the the wrong thing by neglecting, you know, the Alabama's Tennessee's uh, mainly Alabama. Let's be honest. Uh, what, what thoughts did you have about that? Because t- to me, it was, it was just another blowout championship game that got out of hand. Yeah, no, I definitely don't think that the committee made a mistake in letting TCU into the playoffs. TCU TCU was a one-loss team. They were undefeated until the very last game of the season in the conference championship against Kansas State, and they lost that one in nail-biting fashion in overtime. Um, And at the end of the day, if you're Alabama or or Tennessee, don't lose two games. And, And then maybe you're in over in Ohio State, and maybe you have an argument over TCU, but Right. If you lose two games, why would you? Uh, who is it? Alabama lost to Tennessee first of all, so I don't know why people are kind of just like saying Alabama when Tennessee is probably the team that should have gotten in if that were the scenario. And then they also right. lost to LSU, who ended with three losses, four, four, four losses, four, four losses. Um. So I mean, don't lose two games and you're in the playoff at the end of the day. Um, yeah, and I, I think that, that will be interesting. In the twelve-team format, Alabama playing Georgia—they obviously don't play in the regular season, but an Alabama playing Georgia, Tennessee, throw back them back in there. Um, it does make it, I think, more interesting. In my 
opinion. It's just going to be harder for the the underdogs to get further. Type yeah, thing. yeah, exactly. Um, but honestly, if, if you put up TCU against any of those teams, except maybe Alabama, I would see them still making the national championship game. Um, TCU was a really good team. I don't agree with anyone who says that TCU, TCU should not have made the playoff. They were... Yeah, I mean, they and you saw the Michigan game. Kind of everything had to go right, right for that one. But that's that's the point, and that's why we love college football. So, um, what? And this is this is the main stat that I wanted to bring up. Um, but to me, like, get out of here if you're coming at, coming at us and saying, you know, everything that we just dis- discussed, but also that it was a blowout that ruined the national championship game. Stop acting like we haven't had blowouts in national championship games for, for all, all of history. Right. I mean, people were at, this was the first time any team had gotten blown out in a national title game since, you know, it, in, in ever, right. Like there was the first time it was unfathomable that it could have happened, which is absolutely ridiculous. And I did run the numbers, but I'm, I'm curious, Pranay, if anything stuck out to you there, but also what you what you would define as a blowout in a in a you know as a blowout in a national title game. As a blowout, I would say a twenty point victory or higher. Yeah. So 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 three touchdowns. So you want to hear the you want to hear the stat? Yeah. These, yeah. these stats on the Bears Illustrated podcast, or if you just go to do the research yourself, and then why even listen to us? But we'll give it to you anyway. 25 national championship games from the BCS era and uh, college football playoff era combined uh, since, since 1998 to present day. 20, 20 points or more is going to be our blowout threshold. So of the 25 championship games, nine games have been decided by a touchdown or fewer. So touchdown or fewer have championship games. So that's your Fiesta Bowl. That's your US, uh, the Texas over USC. But the same amount of games, nine games have been decided by Three touchdowns uh, on the biggest stage. And as recently as 2020, when Alabama beat Ohio State, they won 52 to 24. And they lost Heisman winner Devontae Smith in the first half, right? That game could have been a lot worse. Um, Clemson destroyed Bama in in 2018, 44 to 16. Uh, And then the biggest one that sprung to my mind immediately uh, when watching this TCU game was USC over Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl, 55 to 19. I think that's the closest uh, comparison you can make to this Georgia TCU game. It hasn't happened in a while, but I mean that was that was the biggest gripe about the college football playoff this whole time was just it's blowout after blowout after blowout. And let's be honest, some of these some of these games could have been a lot worse if you know if teams don't just go on cruise cruise control type thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I uh, I one hundred percent agree with you on that. I don't think that this one game should be a definitely should be a defining factor in who we let into the playoff for the championship moving forward. Yeah. It's definitely not what we want, but we'll we'll see. 
and you don't they're not all they're all not all texas uh texas versus right they're not they're not all the 2006 rose bowl um so any anywho uh switch a little bit pranay baylor basketball let's just on the hardwood uh let's turn our mind i know baylor football was not terrific this year um but basketball they haven't they haven't started off the men haven't started off great 0 and 3 in the Big 12, but they had top 10 victories against Gonzaga, UCLA in the non conference. Um, they did just secure the victory against West Virginia last night. Thoughts on Baylor basketball? Yeah, that was a key victory last night, and we saw the performance that Keontae George put on. Um, oh. he, 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 he was lethal from everywhere on the court, from inside, from outside, from the mid range. He's showing us why he was such a high prospect and why he can be the star of this team this year. Um, And it was a huge win, obviously, because Baylor was 0-3 in conference play, as was West Virginia. And the loser of that game, who was West Virginia, would drop to basically the bottom of the conference. And Baylor had some tough losses before that. They lost by one point in a heartbreaker to TCU by two points to number 11, Kansas state in overtime. Um, So at the end of like, we know that this Baylor team is still a good basketball team. They still have like Shayhan was saying on the last podcast, they still have the ability to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. Um, But they're young and need to get it together. Um, so there are going to be some ups and downs this season. We've seen the downs already. I think it's time for us to see some ups. Um, obviously, we had the win over Gonzaga, but other than that, what what do you think we need to see from Baylor um, moving forward to have some con- some more confidence in in um, the team? Yeah, so I don't know about you, and I know a lot of people were really upset with, with the losses, especially the close losses, um, really tough to sum purple teams right there back to back with TCU and Kansas State as you mentioned um but but there's clear evidence that this team is getting better and improving um the, the winning a third straight big 12 championship which I know is that what everybody wants it's gonna be interesting but I, I I was actually more confident in this Baylor team coming off those back-to-back losses against TCU and Kansas State um than I think most people were uh especially after their per- performance against Iowa State. I thought the Iowa State game, um, it was close for a while, and then they kind of just let Iowa State uh, run away with it up in Ames in Hilton Coliseum. Um, that, to me, that was more troubling than any other game, um, and besides Marquette. But that that was that was a very troubling game, right? And then to bounce back and play TCU and Kansas State tough while there were clear flaws, um, I felt really confident – about the trajectory that this team had moving forward. And there were a couple of reasons. I think Keontae George, you nailed it on the head, bonafide superstar, diaper dandy, uh, could be the national player of the year. I mean, the dude is a walking point machine. He had 32 points against West Virginia in Morgantown, career high. Um, and he had, you know, he, he does it all, right? It's He had the pivotal assist uh, to, tie, to retie the game. Uh, on an alley-oop to, to Joshua uh, Ojanwuna. He had a huge, um, you know, contested run swirled in uh, late in the game, and then he had 
huge uh, three-point shot, isolation, probably a little too deep, a little too early in the shot clock for my liking, but it, it went in and that's kind of, you know, that's this uh, this day and age of college basketball you're, and, and just basketball in general, you're going to live and die with some of those shots. Um, but he should, he should be getting, he should be getting a casual 20 points every time he steps on the floor and really should be going off for 30 every single night. Baylor should look to get him the ball, basically a, a touch, not, not a shot. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. So the second is Adam Flagler. I forget the exact stat, but Flagler has only not scored in double digits in his career like a handful of times, like 10 times, 12 times. Uh, he has scored in double digits basically every every single game he's suited up, both at Presbyterian and, um, and Baylor. And he seems to get it done the best, uh, you know, in the, in the waning minutes. And when it's closing time, when it's when it's Reggie Miller closing time, uh, Adam Flagler is going to knock in a shot. He's going to do something really well. Um, he's he's just that ex model of experience. And although he's, I would argue he's not a the true a true point guard. Uh, I would argue that Baylor doesn't have a true point guard or a true center on this team. And they're still maybe the best offensive team in Baylor without a true point guard or true center. But Adam Flagler it has enough experience that he's able to get the job done when he needs to get the job done. We saw that again last night against West Virginia. We saw that against Gonzaga. We saw that against UCLA, um, just knocking down cold-blooded shots. And also, we saw that against um, uh, TCU and Kansas State. Adam Flagler made big play after big play in those games, too. Baylor just didn't come out on the winning end. Uh, and then th three, a third reason I like the Baylor Bears trajectory is Jalen Bridges. Uh, Jalen Bridges was the only bear, I think, last night against West Virginia with a double-double. And he has seemed to come into his own um, more, especially against Kansas State and West Virginia, where he's become more of a presence defensively and uh, on the glass, but also offensively. He's kind of been anchoring the Bears on the defensive end and on the glass uh, but now offensively, it seems like there's more of a presence there. And I'll give you a key. The, the, the biggest example that I can point to is late against TCU when Baylor was down. 
they they ran a play, drew a play up, and Jalen Bridges got a three. It was probably a little. It was like a minute, minute twelve, minute twenty left in the game. I think in regulation, um, I think it was a little too early, and it probably wasn't the guy you wanted taking the shot. Right? Um, it was a miss, and then you know the the game ultimately ends how how it did. Uh, but it was a good. It was a. Uh, it was an open look, and Jalen Bridges just happened to miss the shot. Fast forward a couple nights against Kansas State down the stretch in West uh, in regulation. We're talking seconds left at this point. Down three, Baylor needs a three. They run basically the carbon copy, exact same play. Bridges on the wing, same exact shot, same exact look, nails the three. Um, so it just shows, I, I think that example shows like, hey, this is the right stuff. You can't make 100% of your shots. Nobody's making 100% of the shots. Um, but it tells me that Baylor's running the right plays and they're they have the right pieces in place on the court they just got to put put it together which is taking a little bit longer than i think most fans would have uh liked or anticipated this year but the dude was a monster yesterday and maybe that was a little bit because the uh the student section was dropping f-bombs on on him the whole night for transferring away from west virginia but um i, I think he's he's been very stable and solid. So for those three reasons, and there are a lot more, we, we, we've written about it on, on BearsIllustrated.com, many articles about uh, what Baylor has to do to compete for a third straight title. And, um, and we cover, you know, all, all the games, but those three reasons I really are why I really like the trajectory of this team. And I, I just think defense, uh, defense can be taught. So um, hope, hopefully, they catch up on the defensive side uh, by the time March rolls around. Hopefully. And one last thing I'd like to add is just that LJ Cryer is probably going to need to step up for Baylor to, yes. to uh, compete for another Big 12 title. He wasn't there for the Iowa State game, and he, and he comes back and we're a lot more competitive and, and then win this West Virginia game. But he has not been the player that we know that he can be and that he's shown he can be. Um. He scored, I think, 13, and then the game before that he scored four, and the game before that maybe 11. So he's he's got a we're, – we're going to need to see some 20-point games from him, in my opinion. Yeah, kind of like the uh, the game he had against UCLA, right, where he uh, – Yeah, exactly. I think he had 22 in that game, Flagler at 28. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And by the same token, Langston Love coming off the bench um, – you know, it, it, you just need one of them to be on on any given night. If you if you know you're going to have uh, Flagler and George um, being well, and if we can get Bridges up to par, um, you know, the way he's been tracking, then I think that's a really good trio right there. And you just need one more guard to come in and 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 play lights out um, to just yeah. Be and, and the thing is, Cryer was Baylor's leading scorer when he, Baylor's leading scorer when he was healthy last season. So. We know he can be, yes. Sometimes the best player on the team. He's just gonna have to. He's gonna have to bring it when some of the other guys don't. Yeah. No. One hundred percent. That's an that's an excellent point. Especially if they want to win a, a Big Twelve title. And people are acting like a three game losing streak is the sky is falling. First of all, it was all ranked teams. Fourteen, uh, seventeen, and eleven now ranked. Um, so Baylor has a really nice opportunity. To pick up the flag. It's not going to be easy, right? But but that's kind of the top of the conference that they lost. 
now that now facing kind of the the middle tier or bottom of the conference, West Virginia, they come back home, play Oklahoma State. Then they got Texas Tech and Oklahoma before big Monday showdown against Kansas and then SEC challenge against Arkansas. Those two games, I think you would circle at the beginning of the year, uh, but just the way that the, the year is started, um, 0-3, and then but but you're playing the top of the league and you're playing really good bats. It's not like they got blown out in any of those games. And now you're just asking them to come back and focus one game at a time. They could be above 500 Big 12 play by the time they play Kansas. That would be a tall order. Might not happen, um, but they're good enough to do it. And Scott Drew is a master at working his way out of these situations before, right? They started, Baylor started two and eight in conference play in 2014, turned it around. They won five straight at one point down the stretch, might have been six straight, got a bid to the NCAA tournament, went to the Sweet 16. I think everybody's hoping for a lot more than a Sweet 16 bid and, um, you know, winning a, a Big 12 title. Uh, but he's proven that he can do it. And even last year, right? The fact that they won the Big 12 last year with all their injuries. They were they were out of it. Now they needed granted they needed help from Kansas and um you know Tech and TCU beat beat Kansas down the stretch, but the fact that they just rattled off uh whatever it was, four or five straight at the end of the season to to repeat as Big 12 champions, pretty incredible. So Coach Drew has been in this situation uh before as well. Definitely, definitely. I think we're all confident that this team will will be fine at the end of the day. Um, so I know you got to go soon. Real quickly, let's talk a little bit of women's basketball. Um, I know you want to touch on Joriana Edwards and the fact that she hasn't been able to play. So, so uh, give us your thoughts on that situation. Yeah, that that's interesting, and it's really souring that that Baylor kind of lasted easily went back home last night and lost to Oklahoma State. Um, a, a team they really had no business of losing to. For all the criticism that Coach Nikki Collin gets um, following Kim Mulkey and replacing her uh, that she got last year and continues to get this year, um, none of the games, I think, were bad bad losses. This was, a, besides South Dakota, but this was a bad loss against Oklahoma State. Uh, the team wasn't in it. They kind of just thought that they would walk all over Oklahoma State. They would get handed a victory um, and it's a shame because they were coming off two stellar victories on the road against top 25 teams in Oklahoma and Kansas, um, where they played just absolutely incredible. And to your point, Nikki Collins has been doing this uh, again last year. She basically played the whole season with six players. Um, and, uh, and this season she's doing, she thought she'd have help from two key transfers in Asia Blackwell transfer from Missouri. She uh, basically injured her knee against SMU and has played 11 total minutes across two games uh, since then. And and then also thought she'd be getting help from uh, Drayuna Edwards, who has transferred from Kentucky, um, that is not playing because of both academic and athletic restrictions on her. She's solved for the academic restrictions but of course i think everybody by now has seen the tweet and back and forth between her and kentucky that she put out um where essentially kentucky is not releasing her to play at baylor this year Uh, so the rule is if you transfer from a a four-year school to a four-year school twice in your career you have to sit out unless a you've graduated um 
that institution, in which case you can play instantly as a graduate transfer, or B, uh, your school, your coach basically releases you to play immediately that year. Otherwise, you have to sit a year and then play the following year, which is what Edwards um, and Baylor have said they plan to do. If she can't play this year, they plan to play her. You know, she plans to stay and play next year, which would be great. Um, But it's just unfortunate that they've lost a little bit of anticipated firepower um, through, through these circumstances uh, basically Kentucky went and and their coach said that they would not sign a paper saying that, uh, you know, Edwards had no opportunity, would have no, had no opportunity to play this season at Kentucky because that would have been a false statement um, because she could have stayed and, and played. Uh, you know, I, I wrote in after you read it, I know some people uh, commented on it as well, but here's, here's the main main point a it to me it does definitely feel a little bit petty that that kentucky will not release her um especially when edwards has hit hit last year what is the biggest shot in kentucky women's basketball history she had a game-winning three-pointer over number one south carolina in the sec championship game that effectively doubled uh her coach's salary the coach that's not releasing her um and got her a contract extension through 2027. So she was making about, you know, half a million change uh, last year. That's jumped up um, and will ultimately turn into like 850, uh, 850K by the 2027 season. So that that's number one. Like, you know, th- that team is no more. She's done everything for you you might as well, you know, release her. So I don't know what that relationship was. I don't know why uh, Edwards couldn't graduate uh, from Kentucky. Uh, all of that has resulted in this unfortunate situation, not not for her or for Baylor, but just for the sport of women's college basketball. People love to hate women's sports and women's basketball specifically so much. And then you have things like this that, you know, she's a superstar that could be on the court advancing the women's game and advancing her own career, obviously, uh, just like she did for her coach. And due to maybe petty differences or, I, you know, we're not privy to what happened down in Lexington, but that's not being, uh, you know, there seem to be grudges there, right? There, there seem to be grudges. The bigger issue in my mind is that I think the NCAA is missing the boat here because they've already allowed, they're already allowing any player to transfer and immediately play that first year um, due to some code, some policies that they changed with transferring uh, after the COVID season, right? So they gave everybody an extra year and then they allowed people to, um, they allowed athletes to play immediately if they were to transfer. The thing is Edwards transferred from Utah to Kentucky back in 2019 before COVID. She actually sat out, the season at Kentucky before playing two more seasons. Right. And so because she didn't graduate, she's not eligible as a graduate transfer. So it goes to this, Hey, you're transferring for a second time in your career. uh, So you have to sit out, right. That's, that's the rule to me. I don't understand why she can't get the same privileges that every other athlete is, has been extended by the NCAA where they say, Hey, you can transfer and play immediately. Um, it's not like she's already done that before, right? She transferred and already sat out a year before. I feel like she should 
be able to capitalize and take advantage of that that rule that was uh, you know changed for everybody else. So to me, it's at the core, it's an NCAA issue. And then as a smaller picture, I think you know there's some petty differences that I wish could be set to the side uh, by by Kentucky and Edwards. <laughs> 